Wayne Martin, would you open us up in a word of prayer, please? Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. It, it's good to see you this evening. Glad you're here for our midweek service. Uh, we still have our sign language class going on in the back, so about a third of this group is back in the fellowship room. Brother David said this is their fifth week, so they're halfway through tonight. So uh, keep praying for that outreach. There's a number of folks, not from our church, but from the community that have been coming. And uh, they're hovering right around 20, I think, back there. So that's great. Just a couple of announcements. Uh, The first one is this Friday, our amazing grazing group going to Cheddar's in Morristown, meeting there at 11 o'clock. And so I hope you've signed up for that. If you haven't, you can tonight. Uh, Sign-up sheet's right over here at that information table, and you can sign up this evening. But tonight's the last night to do that. And then we were going to have a a missionary guest with us Sunday, um, Dr. Chelly is a family practitioner um, outside of Greenville, South Carolina, but he's also the president of the Berean Baptist College or the Berean Bible College in uh, India. Uh, I think it's in Bangalore, India. And uh, he and his brother are the two officers. His dad was actually instrumental in starting this large Bible college and seminary, and they have uh, they have graduated hundreds of pastors uh, from that from that seminary, and they're pastoring churches all over India. Dr. Chelly's going to reschedule, and because of my absence, he'd like, he wanted to reschedule. So we've, we've moved him to October the 15th. So he was going to be here this Sunday, uh, but we've moved him to October the 15th. And so uh, please keep praying for, uh, pray for that meeting. I'm looking forward to meeting him. Uh, he's a full-time medical doctor here, and then he serves as the president of the seminary there in India. His brother is also... Uh, I think his brother's name is Jonathan, and he is also uh, very involved in the leadership of that seminary. You can find them online if you want to read about that ministry. It's worth your time just to go on there and look at that. Uh, look at the ministry that Bible college and seminary has in India. Berean Baptist Bible College, I think, is the name of it. And so we just moved that out about a month. So he'll be with us the middle of next month on a Sunday, and we're looking forward, we're looking forward to that as well. Um, I think that's probably about it for the announcements, uh, kind of short and sweet tonight. We've also got some people traveling. Keep, uh, we'll mention them in a few moments, um, and we'll have, we'll have opportunity to pray together. So if you did not get a Bible study sheet or a prayer bulletin for tonight, you'll need those shortly. And so when we shake hands here in a moment, uh, maybe you want to grab those. Let's stand together, and we're going to look at 531. I'll tell you what, while the instrumentalists play, why don't you greet one another this evening and then... Right after they, uh, you greet one another, we'll, uh, we'll sing a couple of verses on 531, all right?
on number 531. Would you find that page? Let's sing the first and last verses there, and then you can be seated, all right? Let's sing verses 1 and 3 this evening. All my life long I had panted for a drink from some clear spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long had craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. Through his blood I now am saved. It's been a while since we sang that, hasn't it? Let's sing that third verse together. Well of water. Well of water ever springing. Bread of life so rich and free. Untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. Hallelujah, I have found Him, whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings, through His blood I now am saved. Amen. Good singing. You can be seated tonight. Thank you for singing along. I think it's good for us to sing out. We're going to begin in our prayer bulletin tonight. There are a few um, new additions and updates that we'll make note of. And then we're going to return to our series in Sam- on Samson's life in Judges chapter, uh, Judges chapter 15 this evening. But let's start with our, our prayer list. We have all these folks listed on the first column there concerning uh, their salvation and these folks that need to be saved. Uh, Some of them make professions of salvation, but their family or friends uh, are unclear about that. So we list these names in here, and I hope that you're able to uh, remember to pray for each one of them by name. Um, In that second column, I want you, if you would, to continue to pray for Kate. she continues to struggle. Uh, there, I was talking with Brother Jason today. I had an opportunity to visit with him, and um, they're still on this roller coaster ride when it comes to their insurance. Um, a hospital taking it, hospital not taking it. People at this place say, oh, "We don't think it's going to go through," and then the people they said, "Yeah, it's already through." So they don't know who to believe. Um, in the meantime, Kate's just having some rough days with pain and with nausea. And uh, sometimes the medicine is working and sometimes it's not. So pray for Kate, if you would. Please continue praying for our brother, Frank Brown. Um, He's going to be uh, having some appointments pretty soon and laying out a plan of attack on uh, on his prostate cancer. And so pray for him. Gail Davis called today. Uh, Brother Tom is back in the hospital in Nashville. He went to the hospital yesterday. His right lung has collapsed again. And so they have put a drain in to help, uh, hopefully to help reinflate that. But he was having a tough time. She said he was breathing better today than he was yesterday. They went, uh, thankfully, they had a three-month scheduled uh, checkup. Um, And so that's what they were going in for. And the doctor checked him out, talked to him about his breathing and the discomfort he was having. He said, I don't think you're going to go back to Jefferson City. He said, I'm going to admit you. And so they admitted him yesterday, and uh, they're they're helping him out. But pray, if you would, for... Uh, brother Tom. And then I've, I've added my brother-in-law on here, Sonny Fisher, lives down in Greenville. Uh, Sonny's got prostate cancer, and he's 
uh, had surgery already, but they're going to be uh, they're going to be doing a PET scan here in a week or so uh, on the 15th, actually of uh, of September, and try to get a figure, try to get a, uh, an idea of where that cancer is. It was outside of the prostate, and uh, so he's going to be doing four months of hormone therapy, and they're scheduling him about two months into that. They're going to start 35 radiation treatments. And so please be in prayer for Sonny, if you would. Um, he, as you can imagine, he is, he's concerned. The doctor told him there's about a 70% success rate with that. Um, and they are, they're not completely raising their granddaughter, but she lives with them for the entire school year. And um, that's a big concern for him. And so I, I appreciate you praying for Sonny, and he appreciates your prayers as well. And then all of these folks that are on here with, uh, with various cancers, Please continue praying for them. Um, in that next column, we've we've added Brother Jim Whip. Uh, Jim's been having a tough time lately. He had to go in uh, to receive another unit of blood today, and um, uh, he found out that uh, the injection that they gave him for some of his medicine the last time was the wrong injection. So to counteract that, he's going to be on a certain uh, I don't know if it's a pill or he has to go get other injections that's going to counter this, but it's it's a mess, and he's, he's having a hard time. They still do not know why he's losing the blood that he is. They've run several tests on him. Pray for Brother Jim and his encouragement, and when you see him, whether or not you know him, he sits right back there behind the seat that David's in front of, whether or not you know him, go up and tell him how much you're praying for him. He's He's about three years old in his walk with Christ, and he could use your encouragement. Um, he, he has, I'll tell you, he has most all of his friends here at Faith Baptist Church. Um, this church means a lot to Jim and he got saved after his wife died and he's been growing in the Lord and I'm thankful for it. Um, but he needs our encouragement. So do that if you, if you would, all right, and pray for him. Um, also brother Frank Hall, I'd like you to continue praying for brother Frank. Uh, brother Frank's been placed on hospice and they're, they're con- trying to control his pain. In fact, I was going to go see them yesterday, and Bev said it really wasn't a good day to do that, and the nurse was coming to increase his pain meds, the hospice nurse. And so please pray for uh, for Frank and for Beverly, if you would. These are hard days for them. And she said that her husband's pretty much bedridden at this point. So I, I know they will appreciate any encouragement that you can that you can offer to them. In the... The last column there at the top, recovering from surgery, Connie had her knee replacement surgery yesterday. Brother Tim said it went well. Uh, by the time I talked with him later in the afternoon to check on her, she was already home. He said the pain was a little bit more intense than it was the first knee replacement that she had several months ago. So pray for Connie, if you would, and her recovery. Um, and it's, we're, we're glad to see Tina tonight. I saw Rick and Tina yesterday and... Uh, Tina had her second cataract surgery coming along. Um, don't, aren't you glad that doctors have figured some things out that they didn't know, you know, years ago? People just sit there and deal with it. And today we've got so many surgeries and things that are absolutely amazing. We're, we're talking about these two little girls that have had heart transplants, you know. And you just think about that, what God has allowed people to learn in order to help us. So I'm thankful for that. And these folks that are recovering from their surgeries, Tina's on there. Virginia, please continue praying for her. Um, and for and for all of these others that are here, uh, continue praying for Brother Rick and his shoulder 
Um, I spoke with Hunter Donahue earlier this week. Hunter is still out of work. He'd like to go back to work light duty, but they're not going to let him. He's still dealing with um, on, and, on and off pain following his brain surgery. And they don't have, they really, it's been over a month since his surgery. They don't have all of the details yet on the pathology report concerning the brain cancer. And so they're, they're about 99% sure this is cancerous, um, but they're waiting for a complete report. And so please continue praying, if you would, for Hunter. And his wife's name is Kaylin, K-A-Y-L-I-N. And they will, uh, they'll appreciate that, I'm sure. At the under bereavement, there's a couple of families there. I was looking for Joyce tonight. Um, I found a, a card yesterday that Joyce turned in. I think Sunday morning, uh, her brother passed away this last week. Uh, she had a 91-year-old brother that was um, in a pretty bad car accident. He died as a result of those injuries. And so, pray for the Merrill Green family, and that's Joyce Bussell's brother. Um, and then I can't thank you enough, church, for how you've been reaching out to my wife and, uh, and me with the passing of her mom Sunday morning. I would appreciate it if you'd pray for us. Uh, we're going to be flying out early tomorrow morning to Tulsa, and uh, we have two of our kids that are also traveling tomorrow and flying in from Georgia and Florida. And so appreciate your, your prayers for our family, uh, especially for my father-in-law. His name is Loy, L-O-Y-E, and uh, yesterday would have been uh, would have been their wedding anniversary. I think their 59th wedding anniversary would have been yesterday. So pray for him. Terry also has two brothers, if you didn't know them, uh, Ronnie and Paul. And she spoke with Ronnie today. Ronnie's having a pretty tough time. Um, and so if you'd pray for that whole family, sure would, uh, sure would appreciate that. We have our, our mili- uh, military personnel listed down there. And I was talking to Brian Sulfridge. We've added his daughter, Layla Sulfridge, in there. Layla leaves Monday for Fort Leonard Wood, uh, Missouri, and she'll be going into basic training. And so pray for her as well as the rest of these folks on here, but pray for her if you would um, as she leaves Monday and begins basic training. And then on the back of the, of the page, we have several of our missionaries listed, all of those that are sent from our church, um, the Childers. Uh, in fact, the Childers will be traveling tomorrow. They've had a, a dear friend of theirs that went home to be with the Lord and they're going to be headed up to Michigan for that. And so pray for Terry and Barb as they're traveling. Um, mentioned to you already about Jason and Kate. One of, the, one of the best things you can pray for them is God would give them both clear-mindedness for the decisions that they're having to make and how, uh, what avenues to pursue. Johannes and Kittist, as they serve the Lord there in Zambia, huge deaf ministry throughout that whole country. In fact, it branches out into other countries, which is great. Um, Amber's ministry there in the Philippines as she continues in the Tagalog language and expanding, uh, maybe even uncomfortably so, expanding different areas of ministry. Uh, but keep praying for Amber and, and lift her up if you would. I love that picture of her, don't you? That's just a great picture. Uh, pray for John and Nikki. Brother John is uh, leading the plans on the fall meeting that's coming up for bio. In fact, let me, can we just pause and do an announcement real quick? We're hosting the fall meeting uh, September 27th through the 29th, and BIO has a, a national meeting every year, and, they, and different churches host it. We get to host it this year, missionaries and pastors coming in from various places. It's a Wednesday night, Thursday morning and afternoon, Thursday night, Friday morning, and you're welcome to come to those. 
one of the things that we're doing for our guests, and I wish we could open up the whole church, but we just can't, but we're going to be providing a dinner for them um, that you can help us out with if you would. We're going to provide a dinner on Thursday night, and we've put a sign-up sheet out there. We need four people to make a number 10 can of green beans, four people to make a number 10 can of baked beans, and 10 people to make dessert. There's the fun one. I'm glad that there's more making desserts than beans. Uh, so, 10 desserts, four things of green beans, four things of baked beans, um, and there's a sign-up sheet out there. If you, could, if you could look at that, and if you can help us with one of those things, that would be great. And there will be more details as, as far as what time to bring that stuff to the church. Uh, we'll get that to you. We just need to know ahead of time if we've got enough help. Um, the church is going to be providing some other meals for them, uh, but that night, that will be the big dinner night, and we could use some help in that. Uh, we've got a couple of folks, families that have, uh, they're going to be making barbecue for, uh, they're going to be making barbecue for uh, the meal that night, but if we could get some help with these side dishes and desserts, that would be great. That's going to be a good meal, I, I, or a good meeting, rather. Be a good meal, too. I should talk about that. Um, Bill Duttry is the former pastor at First Baptist Church in Milford, and he's going to be pastor Milford, Ohio, where Charles Keene pastored for a long time. Dr. Duttry has since retired, and he this is what he does now. He preaches missions conferences, and uh, we're looking forward to having him here, along with several other speakers um, during the day. But the main speaker is going to be Dr. Bill Duttry, and I hope you'll make some plans. Um, this is You've got a few weeks here, but we don't do a lot of meetings that, that extend into weeknights or weekdays. And so when we do, I hope you'll make it a priority to join us on those nights. It'll be, uh, it'll be good. And then Burhanu and Wubit, uh, serving the Lord there in Ethiopia with the EABM building. It was so good to see that report from Brother Terry. Um, and I'm thankful for what God is, for what God is doing. And uh, continue to pray, if you would, for that, that EABM project and its outreach. At the bottom of the page... Uh, Cindy Ann Raskina, we've supported her uh, for a long time. Her husband went home to be with the Lord several years ago. They're looking at ch- purchasing some property in, uh, in Bangalore, India, and so please pray for them. Justin and Rachel Rhodes, um, they're a young couple with uh, two kids now, I believe, over in uh, London. The, the couple that they have been working with since they got there, uh, the Reeves family, they are coming home to the states for a furlough. When they go back, they're going to a completely different area to plant a new church. So Justin and Rachel are now the lead team on that uh, work there in London. So pray for them if you would. Uh, their daughter is starting kindergarten, I think, and they were pretty pumped up about that. Um, but pray for the roads if you would. And then that third uh, couple there, Chase and Julie, they serve in a restricted access nation in Africa and pray for them and the language that they're, they're working on, their uh, language studies, uh, but pray for them. They're in a very restricted nation, and we want to continue praying for them. And if you would add to the, uh, add to the front, or if you choose to write those, uh, I think these are, let's see, I don't think these got added in. Well, yes, they did. So there are two men on our prayer list. Roxanne is updating them. One is... Uh, Bill Palmer, um, it says that his, uh, his cancer has spread, the treatment they had for him has failed, and his pain is increasing. And so please pray for pain relief for his wife, Kathy, as she cares for him. 
um, this is an elderly man, I believe. If I, I should, um, should have wrote that down. I think Roxanne said he's 86 years old, but he's having a tough time with his cancer right now. Um, there is also a man, and he is in our he's in our second column there. His name is Paul Vargas. Paul is a missionary to Peru. He had surgery last week uh, to remove half of his tongue, the lymph nodes removed on both sides of his throat, and they're waiting for the doctors uh, to decide what the treatment is once they get all these biopsy results back. And so if you pray for Paul Vargas, missionary to Peru, um, I believe that Roxanne said he is sent out of the church that her daughter goes to down in Florida. And so let's be in prayer for Let's be in prayer for uh, them, if you would. Well, let's pause and we'll go to the Lord in prayer um, for these folks. And then we're going to begin uh, chapter number 15 in the book of Judges. And so let's, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll get into our study tonight. Father, we do thank you for this day and thank you for the opportunity to be together with our church family. We're grateful that we have been invited as your sons and daughters to come boldly into your presence and make intercession for these folks that we're mentioning tonight. A lot of unsaved people on this list, and some have been there for uh, 10 or 15 years. They've been on this list, and their hearts are hardened. And, Lord, we pray that you would soften their heart and bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they would recognize their sinful state, that they would confess their inability to do anything about their sins outside of Christ, and they would turn to you in repentance and be saved. And that's what we're praying. And you're not willing that they perish And you've invited them to come, and so, Lord, help them to do just that. And then, Lord, we have all these folks that we're praying for in and out of our church with cancer. We certainly continue to pray for the Christiansons, especially our sister Kate, that you would uphold her and strengthen her and give them the right course for them to pursue. Lord, you can heal. Uh, No one that knows you doubts your ability to heal. Sometimes you heal us temporarily, and sometimes you take us home and you heal us permanently. We're praying selfishly that you would raise Kate up and that you would intercede on her behalf, touch her body, whether it's through doctor's work or your your divine touch, whatever it is. Our heart is that she be healed up. But God, Jason, and Kate both are seeking your will in her life, and so we pray for her. We pray for our brother Tom as he's struggling again, and Lord... Thank you for his faithfulness and Gail's faithfulness, and we pray that you would, uh, Lord, help that lung to reinflate, Tom's discomfort to go down, and Lord, we pray the same thing for Tom, if you, if it would please you to remove the cancer from him, then that's our heart, but if not, Lord, we pray that your grace would continue to be sufficient for him. Uh, and then these two men that Roxy mentioned, Bill and uh, Paul, and Lord, both of them, in pretty rough situations, going through hard treatments and facing uh, a lot of physical pain. And, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them and uh, pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, comfort them. All these folks on here dealing with their cancer. I pray for Sonny, and, Lord, I pray that you would uh, strengthen his mind and help his focus to stay on you and help his doctors to give him good counsel And, Lord, all of them need your wisdom to know what to do with the counsel they get. We pray for our brother Jim Whip. And, Lord, his doctors need their eyes opened as to what's causing all this blood loss. And you know. 
And so, Lord, if you would open their understanding and help them to find out how to best help Jim and as he's recovering from uh, some other issues with, with getting the wrong medicines, Lord, we pray that you'd help him. Thank you for saving Jim. Thank you for your grace on him. And, Lord, we pray as he continues to grow in you that you would show your hand in his life strong and help his, help his family to see Christ in him, the hope of glory. Thank you for bringing Connie through her surgery. And, Lord, we do pray that her pain would be relieved. Uh, same for Rick. Same for Hunter. Uh, Lord, their surgeries are successful. And I pray that you would help their healing to be complete and their recovery, Lord, to be, to be quick. Uh, I do pray for Joyce Bissell and her family at the sudden and unexpected homegoing of of Mr. Green. And, Lord, I pray that um, he was saved, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would be a comforter to them. I, I do pray for my wife and her family. And, Lord, um, we're grateful Carolyn is in your presence in a completely healed body, and we pray that while we're uh, missing her that we'd be reminded that one day the reunion's coming where all of us uh, will live together with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. We can't wait for that day as Christians. We know too many people who've gone to heaven and we're jealous of them in one way. And Lord, we pray that when you get ready, you'd come soon and take all of us home. Thank you for those that serve in our military. We pray for Layla as she embarks on her military career and then these others, some of whom are even in harm's way and we may not even know it. Please watch over them and protect them. I pray, Lord, for each of our missionary families, and I'm so thankful for those that we get to partner with and be their home church. And then, Lord, those that are around the world that um, we're just simply partners with them, one of many. We pray that in every situation they would look to you for your blessings. Help them to be faithful. Some of them are in very fruitful countries, and some of them are in hard-hearted countries. Lord, some welcome the gospel, and others, they have to be secretive about it. And we pray that wherever they're at and what their, whatever their ministry is, God, that you would help them to be faithful and to trust you to bring forth the harvest. They may be sowing or they may be watering, uh, but you're the one who will eventually give increase. And we pray that you would help us to be satisfied in the work that you give us to do. Thank you for the time we're going to have in your word tonight. We pray that you'd help us to learn from Samson. Most of the time, it's what not to do. And we come to that again, Lord, when we're, we're seeing how ugly it is to have a vengeful spirit. Help us not to do like that. Help us to respond to affliction like Jesus did. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. And Lord, may he be our model and help us to learn from Samson's uh, bad example. And then, Lord, change, the, change our course on these things. Bless our time in your word, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, would you find Judges chapter 15? Last time, um, we were at a messed up wedding looking at him. In fact, look at, uh, if, look at the last two verses of chapter 14. You remember he's got a wife that he's taken from among the Philistines. Do you remember this? And um, he lost a bet with 30 Philistines. The bet was for... Uh, 30 changes of clothes, inner garments and outer garments. And, and this was going to be a costly bet. He knew he had it won, and then he didn't have it won. You know, uh, it was going good till it wasn't going good for him. And his wife got tricked into, well, actually she didn't get tricked. She got threatened to finding out the answer to the, to his riddle at the wedding. And it was just a, 
It was just such a turn of the tables for Samson. He was so convinced he had it. Look at verse number 19. After he's been cheated, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men of them, talking about the Philistines, and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. We went over this the last time uh, that Samson had put forth this riddle at the, at the wedding feast that was going on for about a week. And, uh, and he put out this riddle. It had to do with that dead lion and the honey. Remember that? And, and uh, those 30 men couldn't figure it out. So they went to, they went to his new bride and they said, if you, don't, if you don't get the answer for us, we're going to kill you. And so she found out the answer, and she shared it with them. And when they, gave, when they gave at the last deadline that they could give Samson that uh, answer, he was furious. Well, the Bible says he was, his anger was kindled. You can bet it was. Samson was a passionate man and passionate in all the wrong ways. He was driven by his passions. When he saw a woman that attracted him physically, he went after that woman with all he could. And when he got angry, he exploded. He killed 30 men in his anger here. He was a man that was driven by passion. He is failing to live like the man of God that he'd been called to be. He was called, do you remember, to be a Nazarite from the womb. God had appointed him to be a judge, a deliverer of the nation of Israel. Yes, he was supposed to fight the Philistines, but not for the reasons he was fighting them. In chapter number 15, you really see that he is a man that is driven by lust. He is controlled by his flesh. Do you remember the New Testament that Paul warns us that we are not to walk in the flesh? Walk in the spirit, Paul said, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Samson didn't walk in the spirit, and he was always fulfilling the lust of his flesh. Chapter 15 tells us of another outburst of his anger, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. (coughs) And this one, this outburst of anger leads him to seek revenge on his enemies. And so I've entitled our study tonight, The Bitter Taste of Sweet Revenge. The bitter taste of sweet revenge. Some Have you ever heard that before? Revenge is sweet. You ever heard that? That's an old saying. It's just not true. Revenge, though promising to satisfy, often leads to bitterness. To bitterness. It promises. Boy, if you'll take revenge on this situation, on this person, if you'll do this in, in, uh, in payback, it'll really calm you down. It won't. It won't satisfy. Actually, it it leads to even further bitterness. So tonight we're going to look, I hope, we gain some lessons here about taking revenge. Keep in mind that it's never right to do so according to the scriptures. Taking revenge is never worth the cost that you're going to pay. And I know it's tempting. You've been wronged before hurt so deeply that all you could initially think was, I'm going to get my pound of flesh out of this. I 
I am, I am totally in the right. I'm going to fix this. Or I'm going to fix them. You ever thought that before? You get betrayed deeply enough, that, that creeps in your mind. Well, I'm not going to take that. I'm in the right here. Well, Samson, that's how he, he kind of lived his life. I want to stop at verse number 8 tonight, chapter 15. So let's look at the first eight verses, looking at the bitter taste of sweet revenge. And it says in chapter 15 and verse number 1, But it came to pass, within a while after, in the time of wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid. You know, right, the kid is a baby goat. It's not talking about a child. He didn't pick some kid up off the road. He's got a baby goat. And he goes to see that wife down in, in Philistia where she was. And he said, I will go into my wife into the chamber. But her father would not suffer him to go in. And her father said, I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. And Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. And Samson went and caught three hundred foxes, and took firebrands, and turned tail to tail, and put a firebrand in the midst between the two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines, and burnt up both the shocks and all the standing corn with the vineyards, And the olives. Then the Philistines said, Who hath done this? And they answered Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you. And after that, I will cease And verse 8 says, he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Elam. Let's stop right there. This is a pretty interesting passage of scripture, and you can, I mean, you can see where my title comes from tonight. Everything done in in these verses is about revenge. The burning of, the burning of the crops. Samson did that out of revenge. The burning of of that bride and her father. The Philistines did that out of revenge. He goes and slaughters them in verse number 8. A number of Philistines. A great slaughter. It's out of revenge. Everything that, every action that's taken in these verses tonight, it has as its motive revenge. And so I'd, I'd like to caution us tonight and learn from this about a vengeful spirit. Some things are some things you're going to be grossly wronged in. You or your family are going to be very offended in. And the temptation of the flesh is not to turn the other cheek. It's to whack them across their cheek. Well, what does the scripture have to say about that? Is, is God holding Samson up here and saying, now Christians, this is how it's done. No, he absolutely not. He holds up this story in Samson's life in these eight verses saying this is what a vengeful spirit will get you. This is what bitterness will get you. So let's talk about this tonight. Let's start in those first two verses and first off look at Samson's return. I say Samson's return because in chapter 4 and verse number 19 he leaves the wedding party 
and he goes back to his father's house back in the nation of Israel. He leaves the city in Philistia where he was and goes back to Israel. But now in the beginning of chapter 15, it says, after this time passed, it came to pass within a while after, here comes Samson's back. He's coming back to Philistia. He comes back to his father-in-law's place. So Samson's return. There is first, in the first part of verse number one, there's the plan. It will help you to know that Samson left that marriage feast without consummating his marriage. He and his wife never entered into a sexual bed. He left, and after a while, his anger cools down, and he decides he's going to make amends with her. That's what it says in verse number one. Samson visited his wife with a kid. He said, I will go into my wife into the bedchamber. So his plan is, I'm just going to pick up where I left off. My temper settled down. I'm cool with it. So he goes back. He's going to smooth things over with his wife. He doesn't bring chocolates. He doesn't bring flowers. He brings a goat. Now, granted, baby goats are cute. But I think it's going to cost him something more than that. But that's what he shows up with. His plan is this. I'm going to take this kid, this goat, It's going to settle her down. It's going to smooth everything over. It's going to be fine. We're going to settle into our new home. Everything's going to be fine. That's his plan. And it was an epic fail. Look at the problem. In verse the second part of verse number one and on into verse number two, it says, But her father, his father-in-law, would not suffer him to go in. Her father said, I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to thy companion... Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. The problem is that her dad's not letting him go in. She's, she's married another. He says, I thought you hated her because she betrayed you in that riddle. You left. The marriage wasn't done, so you, you left. And apparently enough time, I don't know how much time is mentioned there at the first part of verse number one, but enough time had passed to where the father-in-law thought, He's not coming back. My daughter's still marriageable. So he gave her, the Bible says, he gave her to uh, one of Samson's so-called friends. I don't know how much time passed. It may have been a short amount of time. Maybe that guy didn't like Samson and didn't want his daughter married to Samson. But there's, well, we'll talk about that in just a minute. What you need to know is that father, um, with an executive decision, decided to annul that marriage. And he gave his eldest daughter away. So the plan, I'm going to go back and get my wife. The problem, father-in-law said, no, you're not. And then he makes that proposal. Did you see that? That dad offered up his second daughter to this guy without a thought. I, I want you to take note of that. This is a murderous man. And he, he's willing to give up his younger daughter, knowing now. I mean, maybe he didn't know Samson was a murderer before, but he knows now. He's killed 30 men. And he offers his daughter up. Now, here's why he did that. Did, well, look at the verses. What does he say about his younger daughter? What, what does he say to Samson in trying to make this new deal go through, this, this proposal? What is his logic? What does he say? He says, she's prettier than the old one. Did you catch that? 
You know what he knows about Samson, and you should by now? He goes along, he, he takes a long, uh, hard look at a woman physically. He is physically attracted to a woman. Remember what it said about the lady, the, the, the bride that he lost? He goes back to his father and mother and says, I have seen this woman down here. You've got to get that woman for me. It was all purely uh, horizontal. It was a physically attractive uh, woman that he saw. And this dad shows up and he says, as good looking as my first daughter was, that second daughter is even better looking. Take her to be a bride. What a terrible proposal. Samson is learning not to trust Philistines. Now, this is a good lesson to learn for you and I. He learned not to trust the Philistines. They've cheated him three times. The first thing was that they cheated on their bet. Those 30 men, they cheated on their bet in chapter 14 and verse 15. And then his father-in-law gave his wife away to another man. And then I... And this is an assumption on my part, but we've talked about how these weddings work back then. I think that father-in-law kept the dowry that Samson would have paid him. I don't for a minute think that guy gave that dowry back. You know how that works. The, the husband comes to, or the, the man comes to propose to the uh, father to take his daughter. And in order to pay for her loss of work in the home, the, the, the groom, the hopeful groom, I should say, gives some type of dowry to the father-in-law to pay for that loss of work in the home. I don't think that guy ever gave that dowry back. Samson was learning here, don't trust the Philistines. I'm making alliances here that I shouldn't be making. Can I just make a quick application here? Christians are not to form close relationships with the unsaved. And you ought to abstain, absolutely abstain, from marrying someone that's unsaved. Scripture talks about this repeatedly. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Come out from among them, be ye separate. Have, don't make an unequal yoke. And most people only apply that to, to marriage. But can I, can I offer you this? It's wrong for a Christian to be business partners with an unsaved, with an unsaved person. That yoke isn't just about marriage. It's about business relationships. It's about close friendships. The Bible warns against that. Protect your closest friendships. Make your closest friends Christians. Be sure they're Christians. Surround yourself with them. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. That word manners is the same word you and I would use for habits. Habits like praying. Reading the scriptures, church attendance, those are good manners for a Christian to have. They're good habits. And when we align ourselves with those who are not Christians, who are not walking with Christ, guaranteed they will corrupt your good Christian habits. It will happen. You say, I'm a stronger Christian than that. You're not. And I'm not. This is God saying evil communications corrupt good manners. Proverbs 13, 20. I've mentioned that verse to you before. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So guard those close relationships. In fact, the scripture says this. Those closest to you should encourage 
your, your, your Christian growth. They should encourage you to be more like Jesus. Listen to what Hebrews 10.24 says. Let us consider one another, talking to the church, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Your true friends are those that are encouraging you to be more like Jesus than you are right now. They're encouraging you and they're asking, well, what, what, did you, what did you get from the scriptures today? What is God teaching you this day? When you start to slide a little bit, your true friends are going to come alongside you and they're going to say, you know, I, I love you, right? Whenever somebody starts off like that, you're about to get warned. You know I love you, right? I just noticed I don't see you in church as often as I used to. You know I love you, right? I don't see the joy in your face like I used to. Everything okay with you? How's your walk with the Lord? Make those, make those close relationships in your life. Make sure those are people who are going to encourage you to walk more with Christ, not pull you away from him. Don't let, don't let evil communication corrupt good Good manners. Now, I'm not talking about isolation. We're not to totally separate from the unsaved because we're commanded more than one time in Scripture to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You ought to have relationships in your life where you can influence people with the gospel, but those people that are shaping and molding and influencing your decisions, they need to be in love with Jesus. They need, they need to pull you to the, toward, toward Christ-likeness, not toward any type of worldliness. That's Samson's return. First couple of verses, Samson's return. He comes back. He's got this plan. I'm going to go get my wife. And no, you're not. Uh, Gave her to another man, but you can have my other daughter. Well, Samson's revenge in verses 3 through 6. Samson's revenge. He continues to ignore God's will. And instead of trying to figure out how to get back on the right track, Samson decides he's going to get even. And I don't know if I, I... I don't know if I left this on your worksheet or not, but this is true. The problem with getting even is that it is impossible. You can't. You can't get even. Because whatever got taken from you, you can do to somebody else the same way, but it doesn't, it doesn't put back into you what you lost. So the problem with getting even is that it's, that it's impossible. In fact, Samson's going to learn and he's going to demonstrate for us that vengeance or revenge always escalates. And if you can't see that in this, in this story, you'll, you'll never see it. Revenge always escalates. Well, they did this to me, so I'm going to do this to them. But once that's done, they're going to do something back. And that thing's going to go and it's going to grow. And you see that demonstrated here. In verse number 3, we're, we're, saying, we're saying this about Samson's revenge. And in verse number 3, first look at his motivation. His motivation. He says this, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. Now what I'm about to do, it's going to be bad, but it's not as bad as they did to me. I'm going to be more blameless than them. I, now I'm going to do them, I'm going to do them wrong, But what they did to me was worse than that. That's what he's saying in verse number 3. His motivation here is motivated, he's motivated by his pride. 
His revenge is completely motivated by pride. He's only concerned with what they have done to him, and he justifies his actions by saying, they did worse than I did. I'm, I'm going to be blameless. I'm going to, not going to burn your fields down with a bunch of foxes, but what they did to me was worse. Keep this in mind that Samson is coming back at these Philistines because ultimately he's not blaming his father or his father-in-law for the loss of his wife. He's blaming the Philistines. Had they not cheated him, had they not swayed his wife in, in getting the answer to the riddle, none of this would be happening. That marriage feast would have gone on. It would have been great. They'd have got married. Had, uh, they, they would have had their family all set up. But he's blaming the Philistines for the loss of that wife. And so he doesn't go after his father-in-law. He goes after them. His pride has still been stung by the fact that he had this riddle and they shouldn't, they, they shouldn't have been able to figure it out. And he was made to look the fool. So his motivation was wrong. Should he have been attacking the Philistines? Yes. God established him to be the deliverer. You know about his, his strength. He's got incredible strength. God gave that to him. He should have been attacking the Philistines because they were oppressing the people of Israel. He should have been attacking the Philistines because they were offending the glory of God and worshiping their idols. But instead, he's, he's attacking the Philistines because he'd been mistreated. Put it like this, doing the right thing but for the wrong reason. And what does the Bible say about itself in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12? It says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it gets into that verse a little bit and it says it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know what? God is, no mu- God is not so much worried about whether or not you're in church, which you ought to be. But he looks at why you're in church. He looks at our motive for being here. Am I here because if, well, if, if I don't come, they're going to talk about me, so I better get there. Is that the right motive for going to church? I mean, going to church is the right thing. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some is, even so much the more as you see the day approaching. The right thing is to go to church, but do it for the right motive. Samson's doing the right thing. He's attacking the Philistines, the enemies of God, absolutely. But he's doing it for the wrong motive. Remember, he operates totally in the flesh. He's doing what God called him to do, but for all the wrong reasons. He's just off in this. Examine your motives for doing what you do. Why do you sing? Why do you sing in the choir? Why do you teach a class? Why do you serve in the nursery? I said a moment ago, why do you come, why do you come to church? Examine your motives for what you do because God's not, only looking, uh, God's not only looking at what we're doing, he's looking at why we're doing it. If we serve God for some perceived benefit, our devotion to him is going to be shallow. And the reason is because when that benefit stops, our service will ultimately stop. Illustration. If you are doing your ministry, whatever it is, if you are are serving in your ministry because of thank yous or compliments, once those things stop, your service to the Lord will start to decrease. 
It's got to be something deeper than the accolades of men and women. It's got to be something deeper than external motivation. There needs to be something in me. Like, uh, well, was it David or, or Job rather? Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's internal motivation. That's not external. I mean, look at what Job went through externally. But there was something in his heart that says, God can kill me. I'm still going to think he's faithful and good. I'll still trust him. The same is true for those who love money. I, I'm ashamed at people in my profession, people that are pastors. I know of a pastor here in our greater East Tennessee area. I'm not going to get too specific. He blew into a church that had thousands of dollars in the bank. And he came into that church and started, started spending money like crazy. And when the money was gone, Shazam, God called him to another church somewhere. How did that happen? Why are you doing for the Lord what you're doing? Samson was doing the right thing, but it was the wrong motive, and he was wrong in it. Be sure that you're serving the Lord for the right reason. Let our motivation be loving Jesus. The love of Christ constraineth us. Let our motivation be gratitude for saving us and for sustaining us. Let us do what we do for Christ for those reasons. When you do that, you'll, you and I will be able to flesh out 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Where Paul said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When those external motivators are gone, you'll still be loving the Lord. So ask yourself, what motivates me in my service to God? So that's, that's his motivation. And then in verses 4 and 5, his, I don't know what else to call it, I called it his methods. Could have been his madness. But in verses 4 and 5, he goes and, and catches these 300 foxes. We would call them jackals. They, they look like jackals. They're not the red tail and gray tail fox that we have around here. The Middle Eastern fox is a jackal-like looking thing. And they, they roamed that area in large packs. And now this is, a, this is quite, I mean, the Holy Spirit only gives us a couple, of, a couple of words. But it says, he went and caught 300 of them. Just stop and think about that. That's, for one guy, that's a pretty monumental task. You ever tried to catch a fox? I mean, it's not, here boy, it's not going to happen like that. He caught 300 of these things, tied their tails together, lit a torch, lit the torch on fire, tied it to their tails, and turned them loose. 150 mobile torches running through these fields. Did you remember what it said in verse number one? This was the time of harvest. They're getting ready to reap their crops. They're getting ready to make their money. This is the money time of the year for them. And 300 foxes with their tails lit on fire are running through and burning down all of these things. Can you imagine tying a torch, a lit torch to a wild animal's tail? He'd go crazy. He would go crazy. They did. Times 300. And the Bible says it burned down the cornfields, the olive groves, and the vineyards. A devastating financial blow 
to these Philistines who, by the way, are already wicked men. They don't know the true God. They're not tempered by the Holy Spirit in all this. And so they're full of rage. Samson blamed them for not only cheating on the riddle, but for losing his wife. Now they're going to blame him for burning down these fields. He couldn't let it go. Let me say that before we move on. He couldn't let it go, that betrayal. So his motivation, his methods, he burned down their flocks. Verse number six, his his miscalculation. He says in... He says in verse number five, or verses four and five, this is what he's going to do. He's going to burn this thing down. He's thinking to himself, I'm going to burn down their fields. That'll show them this thing. I'm going to get the last word. His miscalculation is that he wasn't anticipating verse number six. Verse six says, the Philistines said, who's done this? Who hath done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite because he had taken away his wife and given her to his companions. That's his miscalculation. When they found out it was Samson who had done this, they were cowardly. Now they're enraged and they're going to go th- they're going to seek revenge. Do you see the cycle that's developing? Samson went after them out of vengeance. Now they're coming after him out of vengeance and instead of ta- attacking Samson and going after him like cowards, They went and got that woman and her father, and the Bible says they burned him down. And there's a couple of Old Testament Testament historians that say it probably means they locked him in the house and burned the house down. It was a terrible way to die. And it's, it's a tragic story, but I just want to point out what I said earlier. Revenge tends to escalate. When you offend me and I try to pay back on you, it's usually a harsher payback from me. And then you take that and you're like, well, I'm not going to let him get away with that. And then you up the ante. That's all that's happening here. And it just keeps going and going. The more paybacks there are, the greater the violence that gets involved. Nobody was killed when this first started. Somebody's pride just got wounded. That's all. Somebody's pride got wounded. And then a wife got lost. And then some crops got burned down. And then a woman and her dad were burned to death. So this just keeps going and going and going. It will go until reputations are stained, relationships are lost, and lives are ruined. Now here's the, here's the thought on your worksheet tonight. It is never God's will for a Christian to take revenge on those who hurt us. It's never God's will to take revenge. Don't misunderstand that. That's not to say that you ought not to, to defend yourself or your family when under attack. If someone's a physically attacking you and your family, defend yourself. Protect yourself. That's not revenge. That's not vengeance. You see, time time had separated that offense at the marriage feast and Samson's determination to burn down a bunch of crops. That's not self-defense. That's vengeance. It's never God's will for Christians to seek revenge. The New Testament tells us, don't do it. Remember? 
Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'll take care of that. Temptation is to defend my honor. We don't want to appear weak. We don't want to appear inept. And so we seek vengeance. That is just wrong. Samson thought this way, and there's a lot of people that that respond like that. But Christian, this is not God's plan. Remember Isaiah 55. There there are so many things that come back to Isaiah 55, uh, verses 9, 10, 11. God's ways are higher than ours. Yes, his thoughts are, but so are his ways. And we ought to walk in the ways of God. Don't seek vengeance. When you do, you put yourself on the same level as your attackers. Those who spread rumors, gossip, Attack your reputation. They take the lowest road possible. Don't be a low road walker. Take the high road. Take the high road. To respond in kind tarnishes my testimony and it reveals a lack on my part in demonstrating Christ's love. I'll I'll mention that verse again. Describing Jesus Christ, the Bible says, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. Just because they walk in pride and arrogance doesn't mean you or I have to. Just because they're hateful doesn't mean you have to be hateful. Because they're vengeful doesn't mean we have to. So how, how should we respond? We're going to talk about that in just, just a minute or two. Because God's got a much better way to respond than taking vengeance. So there's Samson's return. He comes back and he's going to fix things. His revenge, he burns their crops down for for offending him. And then the last two verses, he goes from his revenge to a rampage. In verse number 7, after they had burned his his former wife and her father with fire, the Bible says in verse 6, Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you. And after that, I will cease. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Etam. So his rampage, for lack of a better term, he goes on a killing spree. I think that 30, those 30 men that he killed in the previous chapter, I think that was nothing compared to what he does in verse number 8. The Bible calls this, now I, I think 30 deaths, for a suit of clothes, I think that's pretty horrific. That's a, that's a mass killer. But the Bible describes a completely different level of murderous rampage in verse number 8. It says he, he uh, how did it put it? He smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. I think that's more than 30 people probably in there. One translator said, This is him hacking a great number of people to pieces. His threat was that he would be avenged. In verse number 7, he says, Yet will I be avenged of you. Do you see the Y-O-U? I believe that's the people that burned his wife and father-in-law to death. He found every one of them that that were involved in that, and he took the ultimate revenge. He killed them. He slaughtered them, it said. And sometimes we struggle with this because we don't know if someone, here, here would be our thought, if someone attacked my family or hurt my family and I found out about it, I think I'd go after them. 
That's not defense. That's vengeance. You have to make this distinction, Christian. You may not like it, but that doesn't matter. This is God's word. There's a difference between vengeance and defense. Illustration. You're at home. Somebody comes into your home with ill intent toward your family, and you fight back, whatever that looks like. That's defense. You come home and find your home has been violated in whatever degree, and you find out who did it, and then you track them down, and you take, what's the word? Vengeance on them. See the difference? There's a difference between defense and vengeance. This was vengeance. He didn't allow he didn't allow justice to take place. He took justice, as the saying goes, he took justice into his own hands. Hopefully this will never happen to you or me. Hopefully this kind of tragedy never comes to your house or my house. But if it does, may the grace of God rule in us to where we don't seek vengeance. It will not give you satisfaction. It can't because it's wrong and sin doesn't satisfy. You have to qualify vengeance and revenge as a sin. Justice is over here. Vengeance is over here. We don't get to do, we don't get to do this. We seek justice. We don't seek vengeance. Why? Because vengeance, payback for it, is God's. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I heard a lady, I I read a story about this lady who was sick, so she went to her doctor, and she had some weird symptoms. She didn't know what was going on. The doctor took some tests, he took some blood, left the room, came back sometime later, and he said to her, he said, ma'am, I'm afraid to tell you, but you've got rabies. And she was stunned. He said, I've got to go, I've got to go draw up some kind of plan to treat these rabies. And he said, I think it'll be okay. And he comes back into the room and she's got a list. She's got sheet after sheet going. And he says, ma'am, he says, you don't have to make your will out. This is very treatable. She said, oh, I'm not making out my will. I'm making a list of people I'm going to bite before you do cure me of these rabies. A lot of times we carry our, we carry our vengeful spirit until just the opportunity. And okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to take it now. Here's my opportunity. Carrying that. See, Samson, Samson carried that bitterness. Chapter 15 and verse 1. A season of time had passed. It didn't matter. That thing was still burning in his heart. And when he had opportunity, he took, he took retaliation. So you have, you have in, these, in these verses talking about his rampage, first his retaliation in verse number 8. Did I say that? I didn't say that already, did I? I better fill those blanks in because I'll get hounded after church if I don't, right? His retaliation, and he did. And he slaughters them, a great slaughter. In verse number 7, I want you to note his reason. It was, again, like earlier, it was purely selfish. When you read verse 7, just, just read through that quickly. I'll give you a minute. How many times is God's name mentioned in verse 7? None. How many times is God's glory mentioned in verse 7? God's honor? 
God had nothing to do with this. This was far from righteous indignation. His reason for this was completely selfish. Yet will I be avenged of you. God's got nothing to do with it here. The main problem with revenge is it has nothing to do with the Lord. It has everything to do with us. And Samson demonstrates that for us. God has a better way. What is his better way? Look at your worksheet and let's just walk through them quickly. I'll try to go slow, but not too slow. Instead of taking matters into our own hands, leave them in God's hands. Instead of taking matters into our own hands, leave them in God's hands. Would you just write down Romans 12, 17 through 21? Romans 12, 17 through 21. The second plan. Instead of attacking those who attack us, you're not going to like this. Pray for them. Love them. Be kind to them. Ooh, that just gets all over you, doesn't it? That just gets all over me. Instead of attacking those who attack us, pray for them, love them, be kind to them. Before you get mad at me, write down Matthew 5, 44 through 48. That's Jesus' command to me. When I'm attacked, pray for them, love them, do good to them. Wow, that's hard. That's harder than the first one, I think. But that's how Jesus tells his children to respond. Respond in love. Pray for those who attack us because one day, if this is not made right, they're going to stand before God. Their judgment's going to be terrible. So pray for them, love them, be kind to them. Third, instead of seeking revenge, thank the Lord that we have been counted worthy to suffer with him. Instead of seeking revenge, thank the Lord we have been counted worthy to suffer with him. There's a lot of scripture here. Thank the Lord we have been counted worthy to suffer with him. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Acts 5, 41. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Acts 5.41, 1 Peter 4.12-19. Instead of seeking revenge, thank the Lord we have been counted worthy to suffer with him. And the last one is this. Instead of attacking others, we should fully forgive them as we have been forgiven. The sentence isn't done yet. Even if they don't ask for it. We should fully forgive them as we have been forgiven, even if they do not ask for it. God's way is so different than ours, isn't it? Fully forgive them, as we have been forgiven, even if they don't ask for it. Ephesians 4.32. Matthew 18.21-35. Matthew 18.21-35. Luke 17, 1 through 5. Boy, that's hard. I'm not a NASCAR fan, but I am always up for a good illustration when I'm, when I'm building a lesson or a sermon. 
I love things that prove that that demonstrate it for us. I'm not a NASCAR guy. Um, if you're proficient at making left-hand turns, more power to you. I, that's how I look at it. I, I don't know how to relate to NASCAR as a sport. But there's a wonderful story uh, from February 13th, 1979. There were 120,000 people that watched Richard Petty win the 79 Daytona 500. Winning that race, he broke a 45-race losing streak, the king. 45 consecutive losses, but he won the Daytona 500 in 1979, and he won a whopping $73,500. In that day, it was the biggest purse there was in, in stock car racing. Today, that barely pays for the engine in one NASCAR, uh, one NASCAR racer. That was his total prize, $73,500. It was an amazing it was an absolutely amazing win because with less than one lap to go, in fact, with less than one half lap to go, Petty was in third place. Donnie Allison was in first place. Cal Yarbrough was in second place. They're coming down what turned out to be the last stretch, and Yarbrough tried to pass Donnie Allison. Second place tried to pass first place. Donnie... Uh, forced Cal Yarbrough into the infield, into the grass down at the bottom. Yarbrough came back out, slammed intentionally, slammed into Donnie Allison. Both of them hit the wall and disabled their cars. They hit the wall up top and then they come down. Both of them end up down by the grass or in the grass. They jumped out of the car and just went at each other in a boxing match. Meanwhile, third place Richard Petty drove right by the whole ruckus and won the race. When Yarborough got pushed down into the grass, he took his eyes off the goal of winning the race, and all he wanted was to get back at Allison for putting him off the track. And so that's what he did. Donnie Allison ended up, uh, Donnie Allison ended up and so did Cal Yarbrough, they ended up getting revenge on each other by landing some punches, but they lost the race. And that's what revenge is going to do for you. It's going to take your eyes and take my eyes off of the, it's going to take it off of the, the main thing. And I think I'm going to get satisfaction out of it. Meanwhile, somebody's going to drive right past me and win the race. And that's exactly what happened here. When we seek to get even, it won't work out. And this is my closing thought for you. This event in Samson's life teaches us that revenge is a game that's played by fools. It's a game played by fools because you can't win. It promises revenge and vengeance and getting even. It promises, just like sin does, it promises what it can't deliver. I want to encourage you to... To be like Jesus Christ. Listen to Isaiah 53 verse 7. He was oppressed, Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. So ask yourself tonight, is there someone 
that I need to forgive? Is there something in my past that I need to let go? I've, I just carried that for, I've just got this thing in me. It's like when Samson got back into that area and he saw those people, it all came right back up. And I've got to get some boxes together. Is there something in your past that you need to let go? Do you need to turn away from even a small little bit of vengeance or revenge? Samson is again proving to be a a good example of what not to do. And church, I want to encourage you, don't let this drive, don't let this drive you. Don't let vengeance drive you. Bitterness, bitterness not dealt with. The Bible talks about the root of bitterness that sets in. Don't let it, don't let it set in. Samson, even after a period of time passes in chapter 15 and verse number 1, he's still got this held in his heart. He's not going to let go. And I want to encourage you, it'll eat you alive. Samson hated the Philistines for all the wrong reasons. All the wrong reasons. It was all about Samson. It was not about God. Not about God's will. Not about God's glory. Not about God's name. It was about Samson. Spotlight on me instead of on Jesus Christ. Instead of on Jehovah. He should have been showing what a difference Jehovah makes in his life. That's what he should have been doing. But he wasn't. He was just showing the Philistines and you and me thousands of years later what it looks like when our flesh is allowed to just run free. Whether it was a woman or whether it was his pride, his passion just drove him. And church, when it does, you and I, we can be as ugly as Samson when our flesh gets in control. The only thing that's good in you or me, the only thing that's gracious in you or me, is God's work in us. Other than that, we look and think and act just like Samson, and we don't want to do that. That's the, that's the bitterness of sweet revenge. It doesn't deliver what it promises. So let it go. Just whatever that is that you're holding on to, maybe causing some bitterness or, or a drive for revenge, turn that over to the Lord. Look at those four things. Instead of doing this, do this. All biblical principles on how we ought to handle that, that drive for revenge. Father, thank you for Samson's life and thank you for this particular story. I know we don't have all of the stories that tell us about his life, but you put this one in here and Lord, the, the reason for that seems to be clear. That you don't want us pursuing vengeance. It's not ours to get. It's yours. So help us to respond like the Lord did. Help us to be gracious Help us to walk in humility and meekness. Lord, when we have to stand up, may it be for the right things and in the right way. And help our hearts to be motivated as they should be by a desire for your glory to be seen in our lives. We pray in your name. Amen. God bless you, church. Hope you have a, hope you have a good week.